Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 216 with Nate Regeer. Nate may very well regear the way you think about and approach conflict in some pretty transformative ways. So you're going to learn one, a useful low intensity definition for conflict, two, the four step ORPO formula for productive conflicts, and three, how upfront openness about motives can change everything. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, you can find that on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep216. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to investigate some of our nifty resources. One that I'll recommend right here right now is that magnifying glass right there in the navigation bar. So we've talked to over 200 folks now, which is amazing. And so if there's any issue that you're seeking answers to, or you remember a little bit, but not much, about a previous guest who said something brilliant that you'd like to resurface, you can click that to search the full text transcripts of every guest. But now here's Nate's story. Nate Regeer, PhD, is CEO and co-founding owner of Next Element, a global leadership training and certification firm specializing in communication and conflict skills. He's an expert in social emotional intelligence and leadership, positive conflict, neuropsychology, group dynamics, interpersonal and leadership communication, executive assessment, and coaching. Regeer is a co-developer of Next Elements Leading Out of Drama Training and Coaching System, an LOD Master Trainer and Process Communication Model Certifying Master Trainer. He's co-author of Beyond Drama, Transcending Energy Vampires. He's also an enthusiastic dad and husband. Here's Nate. Nate, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, my pleasure. And I'm excited to hear a little bit, first of all, about your competitive barbecue team. What's your story, your name, and your origins? Well, I suppose I'm not that much different than most competitive barbecuers where uh, friends started to like the barbecue and said, hey, you should go do this competitively. So uh, my brother-in-law and I and my nephew got together and formed a team, and and our team name is called Three Men and a Butt. Uh, and if you've ever uh, uh, eaten good barbecue, you know uh, pork butt or pulled pork is one of the most popular categories. And so our team was based on that, and we never know who's going to be the butt. It's kind of the it, it's the one person who's at the bottom of the totem pole and has to do all the grunt work while the pit boss gets all of the glory. Oh, I see. So now, just to be clear, there are three people on the team, and the butt rotates, or is there like a fourth butt who just sort of shows up and gets the grunt work? Yes, three of us are the core team, and the butt is whoever is coming along for the ride that year, or who's maybe in an apprentice role, or just wants to sneak in and get a free pass and eat lots of barbecue. Fantastic. Well, I love your professional opinion. You know, if <laughs> if I am, you know, in Chicago, or listeners are in major cities, you know, what options do we have to have a delicious sauce just good to go like either on the shelf or what we can make and not ours you know sauce is a big thing and it's all regional 
there are some national, you know, companies that like Casey Masterpiece. I know make sauces that you can get anywhere in the country. But I am, I would say, go for something that's that's regional, and that way you get the flavors of that area because it's fun to taste lots of different sauces. Okay, noted. Thank you. I'm all set. <laughs> well, now talk to us about your other company <laughs> or organization team, Next Element. What are you all about there? Well, yeah, uh, thank you. Next Element, we are we were formed in 2008. We are a training and coaching and certification company, and we focus on helping companies and individuals build their own culture of compassionate accountability. We specialize from the beginning in two skill sets. One of them is the skill for positive conflict that we'll talk some about today, and also adaptive communication to communicate effectively with different kinds of people. And so we we started our company as a direct service provider doing consulting and training for companies and executive teams. And more recently, we moved into certifying and supporting a network, a global network of trainers that are using our IP and our training and assessment products. Okay, excellent. Well, interesting stuff. And so your book then, Conflict Without Casualties, falls into one of those key skills there. What's the book all about and sort of why now and why this topic? Well, we're really excited about the book. It's it's the second book I've written, and the first one was about drama and uh, this notion of how we get sideways with each other during conflict. But this one, Conflict Without Casualties, is really kind of the – it's the Bible. It's the reference guide, the field guide for all of the work that we do around positive conflict. Uh, a lot of – a lot of – Writer, authors, or companies will de- will write a book and then they'll develop kind of some spin-off training materials that goes with it or training programs. For us, it was the other way around. We've been refining and testing and practicing good curriculum and good tools and good assessments for this methodology for about six or seven years. And finally, we decided we're going to write the field guide to go with it. And that way, it can be either the first thing somebody reads, or it could be the thing that goes along with an intensive training for an executive team. And so it's important in that way that it has a real fundamental foundational spot in our in our suite of positive conflict tools, but it's also a great standalone read and a great resource for people that are wanting to leverage the positive power of conflict. Okay, so the positive power of conflict sounds great. So could you maybe lay that out for us in terms of when it comes to conflict, you know, what is the potential, the positive power versus the, I guess, destructive power? Well, conflict is one of those words, you know, when we say conflict, everybody has a reaction to it and most of them are negative. A lot of a lot of people have had pretty negative associations with conflict growing up or maybe in past relationships and jobs. And usually it's because conflict has been associated with casualties, relationships broken, um, uh, getting unfriended on Facebook, getting fired, uh, drama. Uh, and so people have, have negative associations. So I think the first thing we need to do is combat the myths. There's a lot of myths around conflict, you know, like that it's bad or that it should be minimized or that people always get hurt. And those aren't necessarily the true. And so to do conflict op- optimally is, first of all, to combat some of the negative associations and challenge those. And then the second thing is to recognize that what we're trying to promote in this book and in our methodology is that conflict is pure energy. And it is energy that can be leveraged for for real breakthrough results. We know that it's energy because we know how much energy we waste on it when there's drama. So what if we could harness that energy and use it to create something amazing. And for us, the key was when we discuss, when we really dug deep into this notion of what compassion is. And 
most people think of compassion as you know, kindness, empathy, my heart goes out for you, I want to help you. And that's part of it. But if you look at the Latin root of the word compassion, it's based on two words, meaning to struggle with or to suffer with. And so compassion is about struggling with people, not against them. And so what if we could do conflict in a context of compassion where the energy of conflict is used to struggle with people instead of struggle against them. And that's where we kind of really had this breakthrough moment about, okay, this is possible, we can do it, and we started developing strategies and methods to make that happen. Okay, so can you maybe give us an example then of uh, maybe a transformation that you've gotten to help witness or facilitate in which we have this energy of conflict that's being destructive and then it is getting uh, transformed or converted via compassion into something great. Yeah, maybe the most simple one is with the relationships that matter most. Uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, when, when she was in high school, we had plenty of conflicts and struggles, power struggles around everything from when she came home from a date to who was going to pay for gas in her car to how much she was on her phone. And it, it always seemed like we were struggling against each other. And so when I started applying these principles with her, it really transformed the way we talked about conflict. And we define conflict as simply the gap between what we want and what we're experiencing. So it could be something as simple as the gap between when I want her to be home from a date and when she wants to be home from a date. And so that conversation used to involve things like threats, like, hey, if you're not home on time, you're grounded, or you know, these kinds of the, the typical things we, we kind of do. So we started talking differently. And I started using some of these formulas and strategies with her and really transformed the way we use that conflict to co-create and struggle with each other to come up with outcomes that met both of, both of our goals and was a win-win situation. Uh, and we use these tools every day at work to negotiate very difficult and tight deadlines around strategies and conflicts around when people are taking vacation or how we're going to meet a deadline in order to get get the client served in the best possible way. Okay, so maybe it could be zoom in a little bit, you know, with your daughter. Maybe she wants to come home from the date at 2 a.m. and you say, that's ridiculous, you know, 10 p.m. no later. And so then how does the dialogue, what are some kind of conversational snippets or excerpts that unfold when the compassion is present? Yeah, let's zoom right in. So let's say it goes down just like you said. And she and I say, you need to be home at 10. She says, come on, Dad, 2 o'clock. You're being unreasonable. So she would be playing the role of the persecutor, which is going on the attack of someone else for being stupid and unreasonable and dumb. Well, I, I could have some options. I could, I could rise to the occasion and also play the persecutor and say, you know, over my dead body, if you're one minute late, you're grounded, and I'm going to sit here at home polishing my gun and listening to country songs the whole time. All right. So, so now we have... I, by the way, I love country music, so I'm not dogging on it, but there are some great songs about dads waiting for their daughters to come home from dates. Um, so so now we're both playing the persecutor role. Or I could give in. I could go to the victim role in what we call the drama triangle, and I could say, okay, you know, just this once, but please, you know, don't do anything unsafe. And so now I'm giving in, and I'm I'm telling her I don't really have standards and boundaries. So now what I would say to her is, I would start at openness and I would say, I would get open and, and declare my vulnerability and say, look, I'm worried and I'm concerned about you and I want you to be safe. And so what are some ways we could problem solve this so that I could feel safe and feel confident that you're okay? Because for me, ultimately, it's not so much when you get home, it's about 
are you, you know, are you upholding these principles and are you safe and are you going to be rested tomorrow for your responsibilities? And so then I turn it back over to her and say, where are you at with that? And that completely changes the conversation because then she might say something like, okay, totally dad, I get it. So here's some things I could do. What if I called you here? What if I was home at, what if I was guaranteed that I got eight hours of sleep and, you know, I was ready and up by this amount of time and and these kinds of things? Or what if I was sure to get these duties done before I went out? And so now we're actually negotiating and problem solving together, not around an arbitrary timeline, but around how do we really achieve our emotional motives around respect and integrity and principles and safety. Okay. Well, what I really like about that is now it's sort of like you are on the same team. It's like you are attempting. It's interesting, even if she doesn't care or didn't care about those things originally, like being well rested or whatever, it feels like as you're having that give and take, it would seem like it would just naturally follow that now she actually cares more about the things you care about. Yeah, and instead of, it, it works. Because what you said about being on the same team is so right that on because instead of me trying to say, well, you need to have your rest and you need to do this and you need to do that, I'm simply declaring my vulnerability and saying, this is what I care about. This is what matters to me. And would you be willing to partner with me around some problem solving? Because then that eliminates me playing the third role in the drama triangle, which is the role of the rescuer, where I'm trying to solve problems that I should not be solving. My daughter's 16. She should very much be able to participate in the decision-making and the problem-solving around issues of safety and character and discipline. Okay. Well, that's great. So thank you for zooming in there. So then a few kind of key steps then. You mentioned the phrase declaring your vulnerabilities and then collaboratively you know, problem-solving. So let's say you're in the midst of a conflict at work and one group really wants there to be, I don't know, a new product launch. And then the other group says, oh, no, no, that's far too risky. We have to see all these things first. And the first group says, no, we got to go now. We're going to miss our chance, our window in the market. And, you know, and, so, and then we're feeling all kinds of fired up. So what would you do there? Well, first of all, I would I invite you to leave our staff meeting from last week because I don't know how you got in there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's typical in our team. You know, every team is going to have those people that want to go fast and seize opportunity. Those people that want to be, you know, planful and make sure we have a good strategy. And we're not doing anything reckless. And so that's a typical conflict. If I was facilitating healthy conflict in that situation, this is what we normally do is we recognize first that we're in drama and we're playing one of these roles and we're focusing so much on the outcome that we've forgot about the process. And so what I'd probably say is, look, what, what could we all take a time out and, and let's talk about how we're feeling? Well, what is going on emotionally? You know, are we excited? Are we anxious? Are we afraid? Um, because there's definitely a gap here that we need to talk about. And that gap produces emotional energy. So let's identify that energy. How is it manifesting itself? You know, one person in the room might say, well, I'm excited. You know, I'm feeling really antsy. And one person might say, well, I'm afraid because... You know, I, I had an experience recently where I jumped the gun and then ended up having to do a whole bunch of backpedaling with a customer. So I'm feeling a little gun shy right now. And so people just get those out there and we create this safe place for people to be honest about their feelings and about their motives. And when we start talking about emotional motives, it's amazing what comes out. So like the person that's always wanting to go, 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 maybe when we when we actually reveal the the motive, what they're saying is I want to feel confident that I haven't lost time 
or I want to feel like I've used my time well and that I am taking advantage of opportunity. Or I'm just so bored. Could we do something? Yeah. yeah, I'm just bored. And I just want to go, go, go because I don't like staying, staying, staying. So when we start talking about these things, then we can move from openness to resourcefulness, which is the second core competency. And resourcefulness is about saying, okay, now that we've shared our real motives, how we're feeling, let's start talking about potential solutions. How would we help you feel like you're achieving something, help you feel safe that you're not jumping the gun, help you feel less bored. Um, and so what resources do we have to work with? Everything from time to information to money to people's expertise. And eventually that process gets us to a point where we have choices and we have decisions to make. And that's where the team comes together and says, okay, how are we going to make these decisions and, and what's going to guide us? And that's where we go to persistence, which is the third core competency where we start talking about things like what are our principles? What are our values? What does our mission say? What are our obligations and commitments to each other and our customers? And we filter now our decisions through that to help us make the right one. And the result of that is we make new behavioral commitments to each other about how we're going to pursue these emotional motives uh, in adherence with our principles using the resources that we have at our disposal. And once we get to that point, it's very critical that we check back in and say, how is everybody doing? How are you feeling now compared to how you were before? And so that's a process of going from open to resourceful to persistent and back to open, which is what we call the formula for compassionate conflict. And it's a very, very powerful formula. And it's a very powerful template to harnessing the positive power of this gap. Okay. Well, so that sounds very beautiful as you sort of lay it out there. And I'm imagining a lot of people coming to a lot of understandings and that's great. You know, I'm wondering, Nate, as you work with clients, do some of them just say, whoa, Nate, we don't talk about this sort of touchy feely emotional stuff here. This is business where cash is king and greed is good and data reigns. Absolutely. So how do you navigate those waters? Well, I'll give you a hint. I'm going to use ORPO to answer your question. All right. If somebody came to me with that, I would say, man, I can totally understand how, how, how foreign that feels and all of, the, all of the experiences you may have had before about how that could go wrong. Um, what do you know about the power of transparency or what, what information do you have that, that could help you get open in a way that feels safe, feels helpful? doesn't feel like you're disclosing company secrets. And why do you think it would be important? Where do you see that linking up with the values you aspire to? And what kind of a company you want to be? And I would just leave it at there and let them process that. Um, and open, resourceful, persistent. Um, and just let them you know, acknowledge that, yeah, this is difficult. What we're asking you to do creates a big gap from what you want to do and what you're used to. Um, another thing I might share is that the literature is overwhelming about the power of openness to create trust, increase productivity, increase authenticity and credibility of leaders. And it doesn't make it any easier, but the literature is clear that this is probably the biggest next frontier for great leadership is the ability to cultivate and practice openness. Mm-hmm. You know, that does resonate with things I'm seeing and hearing and reading, whether it's a uh... Google's work on psychological safety and all this stuff, it seems like, as one guest put it, you know, people see stuff that's dumb <laughs> all the time in the workplace. And if you don't have that openness, then you're just never going to hear about it because like it's 
better for me to just keep my mouth shut and for us to keep kind of, you know, milling along as we do rather than rock the boat and risk some unpleasant consequences for myself. Well, yeah. And people say, well, why would I disclose that? I'm not going to, you know, make myself vulnerable and I'm not going to tell you what's really going on. And I can say, well, you can choose to talk about it or not, but you're acting on it and you're making decisions based on it, even if people don't know it. So it's influencing your behavior, whether you put it out in the open or not. And how often do we do we initiate change processes or we implement things and we seem to be chasing our tails and we never really finish what we started because we're never talking about what's really going on. And then we seem mystified and confused why people don't get on board. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's and, and that's one of those things where there, there's a lot of different angles we can take. And sometimes it's just a matter of practicing in small little ways. And we offer people strategies. We do role plays. There's a lot of different ways that people can begin experimenting with how it works in safe ways. Okay. Could you give us an example of a potential role play or opening experiment or exercise to get it going a little bit? Yeah. A, a real basic one is is we, we talk about these three skills of openness, resourcefulness, and persistence and how, how they're in a cycle. And we really, we start with openness, always start with open. So we ask people, you know, how often do you go to a subordinate or a peer and you ask for something? Maybe you say, hey, would you email me those financials from last week? Or um, can I have the projections for next year's, you know, whatever? And the the person on the other end is kind of thinking to themselves, well, why do you want to know? Or, or what's this for? Or, you know, what's your agenda? And very often people will give it to you, but they'll give it resentfully and you don't know that. So what we do is we practice Try, and before you ask for something, start it open and share with the person your actual motive. Like, why? Why are you asking? What's it about? Why does it matter? The most simple role play, that this is where it really broke open for me, is, is one afternoon, is a Friday, beautiful Friday afternoon here in Kansas, kind of like today, a beautiful day. And I, I thought I could get off work early. And my wife and I love to go for walks. She worked across the street at the Chamber of Commerce. And I thought, hey... Maybe I'll see if she can get off work early. We could go for a walk. And by the time the kids get out of school, we're chilling on the deck with a glass of wine. So I texted her and I said, hey, honey, what time are you getting off work? That would be called starting at resourcefulness. I'm trying to gather data. I'm trying to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. And her response was, why? (laughs) That's what I got back in the text. And immediately I got defensive. And I felt myself saying, what do you mean why? I asked you a simple question. Just give me the answer. And then I thought, oh my goodness, I do this with my kids all the time. I do it with my employees all the time. They seem defensive when, I, when I'm asking a simple question. And I thought, okay, what I have not done is disclose my motive. So I backed up the bus and I said, hey, sorry, honey. Um, it's a beautiful day. I'd love to go for a walk with you. Would you be able to get off early so we could walk? And the next response was, oh, that'd be great. I'll check. And a few minutes later, hey, I got off early. See you whenever. And so I thought, well, what, what if we just role-played that with leaders? What if they've made a practice and a habit of simply disclosing their motive and their emotions and why it's important to them before they ask for something? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, that's interesting how it evokes defensiveness. And I guess it doesn't always evoke defensiveness, but there's a real risk of it, you know, in terms of sometimes it's like, okay, fine. You know, I'm not going to 
sort of bother myself with a lot of the details or the motivations or the whys underneath it. This is a simple request that I'll do it. And other times, I guess if you're just not in the mood or you feel like you're being interrupted or you just have sort of bigger fish to fry and you sense that this other request is just sort of derailing you from those things, then you may naturally, you know, feel ever so slightly attacked or provoked and thus enter into the defensive posture. Absolutely. Let's say I'm a let's say I'm a supervisor and my employee or maybe I'm I'm a C level executive. I'm going to a board meeting next week and my my controller or my financial person, I need some numbers from them because I'm feeling like there's gonna be there's a lot of scrutiny about my department and I need to have some numbers to describe what's going on. I could send I could send a, an urgent email to my financial person and say, Hey, I need these numbers by Friday. Could please get me blah 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 and then expect them to just send it to me. Or I could say, I'm feeling anxious about this board meeting because I know I'm going to have scrutiny and I, and I want the best possible numbers I can have to describe what we're doing. Would you be willing to put together a, a blah, blah, blah? Now, in which scenario do you think that that financial person is going to give you their best work? Oh, sure. Certainly the latter. I mean, it not only feels like, you know, I'm doing my job, but it's like I'm helping a person in need. It's sort of like there's a bit of a human serving response getting triggered there. Yeah. And it's it, there's so many reasons to start it open. I mean, one of them is you're declaring transparency. You're saying, I'm not trying to control you by withholding information. And that is such, that's a way we've all been damaged so much is by having people trying to maintain power by controlling information, withholding stuff, keeping us on a need-to-know basis as a way of maintaining power instead of letting us play on their team uh, towards a common goal. So, and, and I think it demonstrates honesty and authenticity when you're willing to simply be vulnerable and say, here's where I'm at, I need your help. So that's one of the really basic little role plays we do. And it's pretty amazing to have people start to challenge their own reasons for not wanting to be transparent when they're doing that. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I'm thinking about that just today because we, we bought a place. Yay. You know, it's exciting. New house. Yeah, that's right. First time homeowners right. now. So Congrats. that's cool. Thank you. But boy, there's a lot to learn and know all of a sudden that we never had to deal with as renters. And, and so one thing is just that apparently we got to replace some windows. And so who knew that there's so much to know about windows before they just sort of, they slide <laughs> up, they slide down. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then we have a number of a sort of window, you know, potential vendors that we're speaking to about this. And we're just sort of trying to figure out what the heck we're doing and knowing. And so, you know, I don't know if this will work well or not well, but I just got really open when someone said, Hey, what, where are you at with the windows? You know, it's one of the potential options. And I say, well, what I'm trying to figure out is how this other bid is so darn low compared to yours. And is there something wrong with it? Is it going to break in a couple of years? Does it not include something that you include, but I don't really recognize? And so you know, what's interesting is here I'm thinking like from like a negotiating perspective, when it comes to like power and control, part of me felt was like, do you just tell people that? It was like, well, hey, here's their quote, just you know, for your reference. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that might be helpful for you and your business as you're doing your window thing. And so I hear you because it seems like on the one hand, it's like, ooh, in a negotiation, information is power and you don't just give that away because you need to sort of hold on to it and wield it and have an advantage or an edge over your rival. But on the other hand, it's like, I'm just sort of exhausted playing the game <laughs> and I really am yeah. clueless. So, you know, I just opened up with it. So yeah, Nate, you know, what's your uh, psychological <laughs> yeah. perspective on this scenario? 
it's so clear from our experience that when people feel like they're working together towards a common goal, struggling with each other, it's amazing how much harder they work and how much better the solutions are. When people feel like they're working in silos or struggling against each other, there's the same amount of energy. It's just being used in in a million different directions instead of in one direction. Um, and it's so simple. This this principle of ORP is great for things like uh, bad customer service. I was at a hotel last week and things weren't working. The, the internet was slow. I, I wasn't I wasn't getting some things I needed and and. And I was trying to, I was really trying to be productive and I could have just complained. I could have gone to the persecutor and said, look, your internet's slow, blah, blah, blah. And I went down to the front desk and I said, I said, I'm worried about being able to get enough sleep tonight because here's the things I have to do. And I'm curious if if there's any other options you have for me to get some faster internet um, and, and a few of these other things, because it's critical to me to get a good night's sleep because I have a lot of work to, you know, I have a client engagement tomorrow. Uh, what options do you see? And you wouldn't have believed it. They bent over backwards to help me because they were, they had, I was honest enough with them that they knew how to help me. But when people just come complain, it's like, they don't want to be helped. They want to feel justified. Mm-hmm. And so it made a huge difference. Okay, that's good. So now, Nate, I'm wondering if you sort of share your tale uh, with the hotel staff there, I'm wondering, is there a risk of them thinking, oh my gosh, spare me the sob story, Nate. I don't think I need all these details. It's, I don't know. I could see the reaction going positively as you describe, like, oh, sweet. You know, here's a guy that is in need of some things and I'm able to provide some of those things and, and that's cool. You know, that feels good to help people versus... I would prefer to receive this information oh so much more succinctly. How do you navigate those waters? It's a great point. And a lot of it comes in how you deliver it. If I deliver it as a, as a poor me, if I come with a poor me attitude, I'm playing the role of the victim, where my attitude is not that I want to be participant in the solution, but rather I'm just, I just want you to fix it for me. And I think that attitude doesn't engender a collaborative customer service relationship. So it's key that I don't come as the victim. I have to come willing to be participate in the solution. And I, and I think the other thing, too, is, is being persistent. If I didn't get resolution and it was important to me, I would keep trying. I, I would keep working on this. Um, and with another hotel, I actually, I actually did not get resolution. And I, I got the opportunity to fill out a customer service thing online. And I did. And I was very clear and honest, but I wasn't attacking about what happened. Um, and I finally got resolution. I, I got the, the hotel actually contacted me and said, here's how we're going to make it right next time you come. So yeah, be persistent and don't come in with, as a victim. Be willing to participate in the solution. Okay, that's good. And so now if you're seeing drama around you from other parties, what is your best approach for confronting the drama? Is it just simply trying to steer the conversation into the openness territory to start? Great question. The first thing you have to do is take stock for yourself about how important is this and whatever gap there is between what I want and what I'm getting, how important is it? Um, Because the more critical it is to you and the more invested you are in it, the more important it is to do it right and to engage conflict, to create. Some drama, I'm happy to just walk away. I I don't care. It's not that important to me. Um, But there are relationships where we've got to work through this. And so I think if you decide it's important enough, the first thing to do is name how you're feeling. 
Um, I'm angry. I'm anxious. Uh, I'm really concerned about where this conversation is going. Uh, and the next thing is to name the gap. Describe why. You know, what's going on? You know, I, I, I came to this meeting wanting these things, and I see we're going in a different direction. And so I'm really concerned about this. And then the third thing is to go to persistence and get crystal clear about one or two principles or non-negotiables that are at stake for you. You know, why Why are you willing to take the risk to have the courage to do conflict right now with me? Um, and then, again, check back in at open. Get back to create a safe environment. Um, and so let's say something as simple as one of our colleagues, we're at, a, we're at an, uh, a sales meeting, one of our colleagues says some things that are inappropriate. And I feel embarrassed because it makes our company look bad in front of a customer. I'm not going to say something right there, but as soon as we get a chance, I might say to them, I feel really embarrassed right now because I wanted us to come in with a unified message and I said this and you said this and here's how I took it. And then I would go to persistent and say, it's very important to me that we, you know, ba-bomb, ba-bomb, ba-bomb. These are our, our, our principles. Um, what ideas do you have for how we can get this lined up so next time it doesn't happen? Um, and then I might go back to open and say, I just want to check in with you about how you feel. Mm-hmm. That's hardcore conflict right there because I'm confronting the behavior. I'm being honest about how I feel and I'm asking for us to step up to a higher level of accountability. All right. And so I'm going to continue being difficult with you, Nate. So if they're not willing to play ball and they're like, oh, Nate, chill out. It's no big deal. You know, it was a hilarious joke I shared with that prospective customer and they loved it. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up here. If you say persistence, how does that play out conversationally? Well, first of all, it might take two or three or four or five or six times around the compassion cycle to get resolution. So I might say, um, I'm angry. I feel angry and surprised because it. W- I can tell there's a big gap between how important I see it and how important you see it. Um, this is very important to me, um, and so I'm willing to continue to have this conversation until we can find a resolution. All right, got it. Well, Nate, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Oh yeah, we're getting great reviews about the book. It's easy to read. It's practical. It has some very specific things people can put into practice, and tons of examples and case studies. And the other thing, please don't forget, if people uh, do choose to buy the book, you can get a free online assessment called the Drama Resilience Assessment, where you can get your your results on your drama potentials your drama risks and your compassion potentials. And the results of that profile are fantastic to have while you're reading the book because every chapter has guided questions for for personal discovery and conversation with teammates and things. And so please take advantage of everything that this book has to offer uh, if you do choose to get it. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Nate. Yeah. Now share with us a favorite quote so that you find inspiring. All right, my all-time favorite quote is Mike Tyson. He said, everyone has a plan until they get hit. That's so good. Thank you. And man, it, yeah, I love that one. <laughs> and how about a favorite book? My favorite book is uh, Arbinger Institute wrote a book uh, called Leadership and Self-Deception. And I love that book. It has been a foundational uh, book for us. Well, thank you. And how about a favorite tool? My favorite tool is my 12-volt Milwaukee cordless drill. <laughs> I don't know what category you are looking for, but I cannot live without that tool. It is amazing. Um, but in terms of tools for interpersonal, the kind of work we do, the, the formula for compassionate conflict that we've been talking about is probably the most powerful tool I've used. And I use it every single day, many, many times a day. All right. And how about a favorite habit? 
My favorite habit is I have a morning routine. I get up about 5.45 and I, and I have about 10 or 15 minutes where I do some stretches and some exercises that help me uh, kind of get limber and get focused. And I've been doing them for probably 25 years and I love it. And I, I, have, I have a hard time when I can't do it. I really need it. Well, now I want to know what are the exercises that make all the difference? It's not that complicated. It's more for agility. It's not like the old day calisthenic stuff. It's really just stretches. I just, you know, as I get older, I think staying limber is important. And then I do quite a lot of abs um, so that I'm limber later when I go to the gym. Okay. And is there a particular nugget that when you share with audiences or clients, they really seem to connect, resonate, nod their heads and vibe with what you're saying? What I often share with people is that compassion without accountability will get you nowhere because you can't nicey nice your way to good performance. Alternatively, accountability without compassion gets you alienated. If you if you just bring the hammer down on people all the time, you're going to create afraid employees who just hold out on you. So you have to blend the two. It's one of these impossible things that when you when you accept that it could be possible, it opens up a whole new world that when you require your accountability to be compassionate, it enables much, much higher levels of accountability than you ever thought possible. And when you require your compassion to be accountable, it, it opens up a whole new way to be authentic and real with people. All right. And Native folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Right off to our website, it's uh, next-element.com and you can, or you could Google Next Element Consulting and you'd find us and everything that you could want is right on our website, or you can look up Nate Regeer on, uh, on LinkedIn, at uh, next Nate on Twitter. And of course I'm on Facebook as well. And I'm trying Instagram now I'm working on Instagram. So I'm trying to get up with the times. Oh, I still haven't done that. So well done. <laughs> and do you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. Try stuff. Um, People like to read, and the, this day and age, it seems like we get our information in shorter and shorter and shorter microbursts. Uh, one of my favorite bloggers, Dan Rockwell, he, re, he refuses to go over 300 words. And so it's just bullet points. And so if that's what we have available these days, go try the stuff. Don't just read it. Go practice it and try it and be willing to fail and recover and try it and try it and try it again because behavior does not change without reps. All right. Excellent. Well, Nate, thanks so much for taking the time to share your wisdom and expertise here. It's been a whole lot of fun. And I can already imagine how this openness stuff is going to be popping into mind again and again and again as I'm chatting with my wife and others. And so thank you. And I hope you and your teammates have great openness and cool results and accountability and compassion and all that good stuff with one another as you you know keep rocking and rolling with Next Element. Well, thank you, Pete. It's been a pleasure to be here. And, and I, I've enjoyed having a conversation with you. You're easy to talk to. And I really hope that some of this will find some value with some of your listeners. Thank you very much. You know, I really have been struck by how the openness about motives can make a world of difference. And it does. It feels a little different in terms of, you know, bringing some of that emotional internal stuff up and out, but it just transforms the experience from, I want to win. No, I want to win. It's like, oh, here's kind of where we're coming from. And maybe we can see what would be useful and just brings people closer together in the course of, of doing it. So I'd say if you could find that courage to appropriately disclose and bring about openness in the places where 
it's workable, then I think you'll really see some cool fruit from that. So again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items referenced here, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F216. And I do hope you'll push subscribe if you haven't already. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Kristen Burt. She has a unique tale and a unique dream she's had for years and years to do baggage operations for an airline. I'm serious. That has been her long-term dream. She achieved it in a unique way. So we're going to trace that career journey and story and learn a pretty wild tactic that's just about no one's using to catch dream jobs. So I hope to catch you there in peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.